0: In a day of blatant homosexuality, I hesitated to use the phrase strange bedfellows as the title of my sermon. (laughs) But it's a good phrase, and we shouldn't be robbed of it by homophobic fears. My Funkin' Wagnalls, yes, I still have one defines a bedfellow as one who shares a bed with another, a companion, associate. There is no sexual connotation in it. The primary definition simply pictures two people sleeping in the same bed. It's too bad we're afraid to use the word or to share a bed without visions of sexual involvement. You know, the first cross-country motorcycle trip that I went on after getting back into riding some years ago was with my brother-in-law and a couple of friends from Kansas. Now, one of them pulled a trailer behind his Honda with cots strapped on top of it, thinking we were going to rough it. Well, the first night out, we found a motel with two queen-size beds for $60, and quickly figured out that if we shared beds, we could stay in luxury for $15 a person. Two guys sharing a bed was not a problem. Well, then, several years later, I was riding with a cousin and my friend George around Lake Huron, and I figured we would uh, share a room, you know, as I'd done before. When I suggested we draw straws to see who'd get... A bed to himself, my cousin announced that he would just get his own room. He didn't explain the reason, but I've got a feeling he wasn't comfortable sharing a bed with another guy. You know, we might be cousins, but he apparently didn't want us to be bedfellows. But in spite of our separate sleeping arrangements, we were. You don't have to actually sleep in the same bed to be bedfellows. You only have to be brought into close association with one another. And strange bedfellows are simply individuals no one expects to be brought together. Well, we find some strange bedfellows in our text for today. Two groups of individuals who normally had very little to do with each other, brought together by a common interest in Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and, testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When is evening you say... It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were are used to hearing them mentioned together because we identify them both as enemies of Jesus. But it was very unusual for them to actually be together. You know, Matthew tells us that both the Pharisees and Sadducees came to John to be baptized We see them together on the council that was trying the Apostle Paul in Acts 23. And we see them here together in opposition to Jesus. But that's it. Those are the only references in Scripture that tie them together. Why? Because they were worlds apart. They were both Jewish sects. And they both served on the Jewish Council or Sanhedrin, but they were as different as night and day. They were as far apart as our conservatives and progressives today. In fact, the Pharisees were the religious right of their day. They were very conservative religiously, at, at least on the surface. They wanted to appear spiritual. And so they did those things that people identified as being spiritual. They prayed long and loud. They recited scriptures continually. They were scrupulous in observance of traditions and regulations. And they condemned anyone who didn't. Sadducees, on the other hand, were the religious left. They were the religious progressives who discarded commonly held beliefs. They believed in God, but they didn't believe in spirits or angels or the resurrection of the dead. They basically denied the supernatural element of religion and saw it simply as a good moral code. They were pragmatists and political collaborators who believed more in compromise than conviction. Now, they were the smaller sect, but they held the power. The high priest and his associates were all Sadducees. These two groups found common ground in Jesus, but it wasn't a positive thing. They both viewed him as a threat. Now, you might recall back in chapter 15 of Matthew, we were told that the Pharisees and scribes, the legal experts, had come from Jerusalem to confront him. And after the confrontation, which was about washing hands before eating, Jesus decided to leave Galilee so he could spend time with the Twelve, free from religious hassles. He spent several months in Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, Gentile areas. Before returning to Galilee. But as soon as he got back, he was met by the Pharisees and Sadducees, who now had come together from Jerusalem. And together they confronted Jesus to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven. Now, in light of all the miracles Jesus had been performing, it seems ridiculous that they asked for a sign they specified they wanted a sign from heaven. They wanted to see it in the sky. Now, the Pharisees taught that demons and false gods could give signs on earth. And they had already accused Jesus of being in league with Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. But if he would give them a sign from heaven, if he would set a rainbow in the sky miraculously or make the sun stand still or call down fire from heaven... They'd believe he was from God. But would they? Did they really think it was possible that this Jesus was from God? I don't think so. I don't think so. The Pharisees had already dismissed him as demonic. And the Sadducees didn't even believe in the supernatural. They didn't expect him to convince them of anything. They just wanted to test him. They wanted to show the multitudes that Jesus was a fraud. And he knew they weren't looking to confirm their faith in him. They'd already dismissed the evidence that was evident to any who wanted to see it. And so he called them on it. He told them they knew how to read the sky when it came to predicting weather. You know, a red sky at night is a shepherd's delight. A red sky in the morning is a shepherd's warning. I'm not sure he quoted those to them, but that's the idea. But they couldn't read the signs of the times. Signs all around them were pointing to Jesus. He was miraculously feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, and giving sight to the blind. Prophecies were being fulfilled every day, but they couldn't see it because they didn't want to see it. Still, they said, give us a sign. Convince us. Jesus said, I don't think so. He told them an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But a sign would not be given it. Now, we understand the meaning of evil. But we better clarify what Jesus meant by adulterous. He wasn't talking about marital unfaithfulness. He was talking about unfaithfulness to God. And the Old Testament is filled with references to, to Israel playing the harlot and going after strange gods. That's what Jesus is accusing these religious leaders of doing, of being unfaithful to the true God and making love to a God of their own design. That would have been a simple thing for Jesus to give them a sign. He could have called legions of angels to appear in the sky if he wanted He could have caused things to happen that would have forced them and everyone else to their knees. He said he wasn't going to do it, at least not yet. Someday, he will do just that. The trumpet of God will sound, the sky will crack, and Jesus will descend with great power and glory. At that time, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ, the Lord. But it will be too late for that statement to save them. Because it won't be a statement of faith. We're saved by faith, by trusting in Christ, not by being forced into submission to him. For now, the sign given to convince mankind is the sign of Jonah. We've talked about that. That was Jesus' resurrection from the dead, coming back after three days, as it were, in the belly of the whale. Many today choose to ignore that sign after 2,000 years of evidence and confirmation, as did most of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They didn't want to believe because to believe in Christ meant they would have to give up their beliefs. They would have to acknowledge they had been wrong about some things. They would have to change their life. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to change. They would continue teaching the lies and distortions that had made them what they were and had blinded them to the truth. So Jesus simply got back in the boat headed back to Gentile territory. And on the way, he warned the disciples about the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's read on. And the disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss among themselves, saying, it's because we took no bread. (laughs) But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it? that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, apparently Jesus and the disciples got into the boat, headed back to the east coast to the Sea of Galilee without taking provisions. And as they were sailing across the lake, the disciples realized they had forgotten to bring bread. And while their minds were thus occupied with food, Jesus said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They thought he too was talking about bread. Perhaps he was cautioning them not to buy unclean bread when they got back into Gentile territories. They really weren't sure what he meant by the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but figured it had to do something with their lack of bread. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he was distressed by their lack of understanding, you men of little faith. Why are you worried about no bread? Don't you remember how I fed the 5,000? Don't you remember how I fed the 4,000? Do you think I'd let you starve? Come on, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about leaven, the yeast, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Finally, they got it. They got it. He was talking about the permeating, corrupting influence of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was talking about their teaching. But what was it that they taught that could act like leaven and corrupt the message they were being prepared to take to the world? They didn't teach the same thing. In fact, they were poles apart. But then again, maybe that's why they were both wrong. Maybe the Pharisees had corrupted truth in one direction and the Sadducees in the other. They were both extremists. Perhaps that's why their teaching was so dangerous. The Pharisees, as we've seen, were the radical right. They were the legalists who demanded that everyone conform to their standard and follow their traditions. But their standard was external. They majored in minors. They made sure they tithed the seeds of their garden, but overlooked justice and mercy and faithfulness. Religion to them was a matter of appearance, not a matter of the heart. They worried more about the outside of the cup than the inside. They wanted to appear very religious, so they did those things that made them look very spiritual. But they were hypocrites, simply going through the motions. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they didn't want to look too religious. They demythologized the faith. They tried to take the myth out of it. They wanted what they thought to be a rational, scientific faith. They only believed what they could see, what they could prove, what was acceptable to the educated elite. They didn't want to appear overly religious or overly zealous. They didn't want to be too different. They wanted to be accepted by the people who counted, by the powers that be. So they played politics and tried not to rock the boat. Now, they were moral. They held to a high ethical standard. In fact, they believed that was the role of religion. And they believed that was all that was necessary. Just be good people. Both were obviously wrong. The Pharisees tried too hard to be religious. And the Sadducees were afraid of becoming spiritual. We must be aware of both. The leaven of the Pharisees changes a joyful, loving relationship with God and his people into a legalistic, judgmental, dead religion. And the leaven of the Sadducees reduces faith to nothing more than trying to do what's right and making the world a better place. Because that's all there is. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are both gone. But their teachings live on and can actually be found in churches. So beware. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In times like these, we need a Savior, not too much or too little religion. Amen?